Hello everyone and a pleasant good afternoon, evening, or wherever you may be listening to this. I'm your host Ben Charles and we have a very special extra edition of Life's Opening Radio Rope Break. Um, Josh is here with me. Um, yes, Josh is here with me and he will um, chime in whatever he feels about Raw is 30, which we will review uh, in just a second. Uh, Josh, how are you? I'm doing quite wonderful, Ben. It's a mystery to me as to why I'm on here, <laughs> but I'm here, so we better get to it. <laughs> well, that's good, Josh, and that's nice to know. Uh, we're not going to waste any more time. We're just going to get right into it. Monday Night Raw from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Raw is 30. Um, Raw celebrating its 30-year anniversary of Monday Night Raw. The first thing we see is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart come out. Hogan says he has something to tell everyone. Hogan starts to speak, but his mic cuts out, which was, by the way, a whole entire botch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hulk Hogan can't even talk literally before the start. He's just started the show. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, now they, he gets a new microphone. Hogan puts over Raw before asking, what you gonna do? Well, hold on, I gotta do the voice. What you gonna do when Hulkamania, 30 years of Monday Night Raw, and the Philadelphia Eagles run wild on you? Give me a damn break. Get Hulk Hogan off my television. Right away. Jesus. <laughs> Alright, Josh, what do you think about this segment? It was terrible. Even the microphone itself didn't want a Hulk Hogan promo. <laughs> the sooner he left, the better. He shouldn't have been there at all, really. Anyway, the best segment on the show happened. The Tribal Court segment with Sami Zayn. Uh, Paul Heyman does the typical heel stuff. He says, ladies and gentlemen... My name is Paul Heyman, of course. Um, he insults the Philadelphia Eagle. Uh, he says that they're going to lose to the Niners, whatever. So, Paul Heyman then presents evidence to Roman Reigns. Um, re evidence that he thinks that Sami Zayn is guilty. Sami Zayn is hurt. He's uh, frustrated, obviously. Not too frustrated because, you know, he doesn't want to lose anything. Um, Solo Sokoa is about the, Solo Sokoa was going to hit Sammy with the Simone Spike and then Jey Uso stops him. He holds up Solo Sokoa. He presents footage of his own. He saves Sami Zayn and Sami Zayn is happy, obviously. And he says he loves Jey and Jey Uso said he loves Sami Zayn like a brother. Keep that in mind, by the way. So anyway, Roman finds you not guilty for now. Uh, that I'm pretty much recapping the entire segment in very briefly here, but I can't I can't even review this segment because this segment was the best thing on the show and it was good and it was fucking awesome. I can't even I can't even review this all the way. I don't want to because it doesn't really deserve that. Just go watch the segment. So, uh, yeah, uh, Josh, what do you think about this segment? Uh, I thought this segment was fucking amazing. Ten out of ten seconds. I personally wouldn't rate it that high as it doesn't deserve 
to be a 10 out of 10 as you said mainly because they set it up like a contract signing no effort to set it up like an actual courtroom of sorts or to have this be presented in one Remember when Otis and The Miz had their own courtroom about the Money in the Bank briefcase in 2020 and JBL was the judge? Do you remember that? Why, why couldn't they have done that here? Instead... They just put a table in the ring, like a typical contract signing, and act like it's a courtroom. If this is going to be the trial of Sami Zayn, then present it like it's an actual trial in a courtroom, or something that looks like a court-based environment. And not like a flipping contract signing. What's the effort? <laughs> I have no comment about the rest of the segment. You know, the uh, arguments for and the arguments against keeping Sami Zayn around in the bloodline. I have no comment about anything that happened, as I'm just not bothered to, as I actually have nothing to say about it. So moving on, although before you get to your next point Ben, I will say I don't care about Roman Reigns and his championship reign so therefore I don't care about this alright everybody uh, we can, we're continuing on with Raw um, the Usos versus the Judgment Day for the Raw Tag Team titles this was the best match on the show um, the only thing really you need to know is the Usos they retained the belts, obviously. They, the Judgment Day was not was not going to win this match. Cut it out. So, um, at the near end of the match, Jimmy Uso goes down with a knee injury. This is the same thing they did to the Judgment Day two weeks ago. So, now, Sami Zayn steps in for Jay, for Jimmy Uso. Pardon me. Why do I keep saying Jay Uso? Jay Uso was in the match. Uso and Sami Zayn had to work together. And... They won the match for their team. Obviously, they were not losing to the Judgment Day in this match at all. So anyway, Uso's Judgment Day, a good match. And Sam Uso got the pin for his team. That's all you need to know. Um, rating. Now, Ben, I understand the sentiment applied here of having Sami represent the Usos as a substitute partner. I understand that, but logically that shouldn't be allowed to happen. 
Sammy is not a part of the Usos tag team and more importantly is not the tag team champion he's not one half of the tag team champions he's not he can't be in that position if Jimmy Uso is storyline injured as it seems to be that way mainly to set up this moment well that's the end of the match if Jimmy Uso is injured and he if Jimmy Uso is injured and he cannot continue to compete in the match then the match comes to an end you can't just have Sammy suddenly enter as a brand new tag partner and instantly now be defending a tag team championship he's not even he's not even he's not even the champion of especially in a match that's still ongoing he's not even a member of the team yes he's a part of the bloodline technically but he's not a part of the Usos and neither is he a tag team champion which Jimmy and Jay Uso are oh, this is ridiculous ridiculous is this this is ridiculous the three bird rule is ridiculous that's what it is it's ridiculous <laughs> Swapping partners around in a match that's ongoing is ridiculous. This has nothing to do with Sammy wanting to become an official Uso and this being a step forward in progressing that. This is all about the logic of the match booking now storyline logic this was this was good but match logic this was bad now as we all know wwe logic Oh, this was amazing but my own personal logic this was ridiculous Jay Uso and Sami Zayn are now the raw tag team champions oh yeah that's right WWE Logic at it again. The Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships got unified many months ago. So, 
they shouldn't even exist anymore at all right now. It should just be the WWE Tag Team Championship. One championship to represent the Tag Team Champions of the entire company, not for the individual brands. One championship on one team. They didn't even bother to do that or to have a new design for it as they instead continued to carry around both the Raw and Smackdown individual tag team championships as if the unification never even happened and have both championships still be represented as separate championships. How does that make any sense? Where is the logic in this? Sami Zayn is now one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions, whilst and this is quite a uh, important detail in all of this. Jimmy Uso is still one half of the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Oh, oh, but Jimmy, now being storyline injured, he shouldn't... I mean... Shouldn't he have to forfeit the SmackDown Tag Team Championship as well? Why is Jimmy still the SmackDown Tag Team Champion? If he was going to be forced to forfeit the Raw Tag Team Championship because he was storyline injured before Sami Zayn intervened, then wouldn't that also apply for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship? Like, hello? The pretend general manager Adam Pearce made it clear the Raw Tag Team Championship would have to be forfeited for if Jimmy couldn't continue the match. So, yeah, questions upon questions upon questions indeed. Now, Sammy only rescued the Raw Tag Team Championship by now claiming his half of the... Uh, <coughs> Champions who are now holding the uh, championship. Yes. Yes. Right, so. Sammy only rescued the Raw Tag Team Championship as only the Raw Tag Team Championship was being defended. Even though Sammy shouldn't have been allowed to have done that, but I digress. Now, how will this be addressed, Ben? How will this make sense going forward? I have no idea, but 
it doesn't make sense at all right now and hasn't done for a very, very long time. This is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Oh, and as for the quality of wrestling during the match itself, I'll be generous and give it a 4 out of 10. Fuck the super kick. There were like a million of them in this match. You have other moves available to do, so do those moves instead. Fuck the super kick. Alright, our next segment was Baron Corbin, JBL, The Godfather, and Ron Simmons. Uh, Baron Corbin and JBL arrived at the uh, poker tournament that they were having, and... The Godfather wouldn't let him in. Ron Simmons opens the door and uh, he embraces JBL, but does not with Baron Corbin. You know, the typical APA stuff. And they get let into the poker tournament. And there you go. I'm not going to explain any more of that, you know, segment. It was a decent segment. LA Knight cut a promo. LA Knight says, uh, and I quote, that I am not afraid of Bray Wyatt. That everyone, like every, along the lines, he said, I'm not afraid of Bray Wyatt. And I don't care if it was pitch black or um, shining bright. LA <laughs> Knight is going to beat Bray Wyatt at the Royal Rumble. And then he says, if any of you legends have the guts to face me, you should all come out. The American badass the Undertaker's music hits and the crowd goes crazy the crowd erupts by the way um, the Undertaker gracing us with his presence on Monday Night Raw and the Undertaker didn't do, say anything at all he was just there he uh, no LA Wright LA Knight was scared of him so he backed away and then lights turned out again Bray Wyatt is there and then he backs away again. He runs right into the Undertaker in the ring. And then Undertaker, realizing that we don't fucking bury talents on this show, the Undertaker gives him the Bray Wyatt, who then gets into the ring and his sister Abigail on LA Knight. And that's the end of the segment. Oh, also, the Undertaker whispered something to Bray Wyatt here. I don't know what the hell it is, but if it says, um, get LA Knight off my television, yes. Uh, Josh, what do you think? No comment about the poker. Well, outside of the fact, Ben, that the door that they used to enter was completely useless. They could have at any given time just walked around it. There was a massive space to walk around it, and yet they decided to just stand around, hoping they can get to the other side of the area by needing to go through this door that when walked through just led to nothing but the rest of the corridor. 
leading to a bunch of tables where the poker was happening. They did not enter a new room by going through the door. They just stepped forward onto the same corridor they were already on. Ridiculous! All I'm going to say about this is that Bray Wyatt has got to win and win on his own and mostly in a dominating fashion. Not entirely a squash because L.A. Knight, yeah, he needs to get some offense in and some defense in. You can't just completely squash him. But I, but, but Bray needs to dominate at least 75 towards 80% of the match and get the win on his own, fairly and cleanly. Oh, and this better not be a segment. This better be an actual match. Have lanterns or something be scattered about as the only source of light to match the theme of Bray's character. It's supposed to be a blackout uh, match, but we need some sort of source of light in order to actually see what is going on. Otherwise, why even have it to begin with? So yeah, to go along with the theme of uh, his character, place a bunch of lanterns around the area, and uh, there we go. Oh, yes! The Undertaker came out on his motorbike, which he had trouble to uh, start up uh, a few times. Now, if this doesn't lead to the Undertaker being Bray's manager or something along that, then what was the point of this? This is a waste of time otherwise oh and please for the love of everything that is professional wrestling the undertaker needs to stay retired uh another segment which um i will refuse to talk about but i'll just briefly mention it here uh ddp wins in poker that's all Steel cage match that was supposed to happen. Becky Lynch versus Bailey. This match never started, and the match never happened at all. No ready. <laughs> oh man, damage control beat up Becky Lynch, and that was the entire thing. No one cared. I did not care, and I did not want to see this match. They they hyped this up as the first. Women's steel cage match since Trish Stratus and Lita in 2004, and no one cared then, and no one cared now. Get this off TV. Damage control, get off TV. What do you think, Josh? Jesus fucking Christ. 
the steel cage between Becky Lynch and Bailey never should have been booked to begin with. They rushed into it for basically no reason, and when the time came to have it happen, they didn't even go through with it, as they didn't even have enough time for it. So they instead did a quick heel beats down the face segment, and that is that. This did not make any sense, and I agree with you, Ben. It never should have even happened, and it never should have even been on this episode at all to begin with. Damage control has more control in damaging their own self-worth as a trio than anything else at this point. They should be uh, 80 if not 90 80 if not 90% undefeated right now as a trio. But alas, I digress. The booking is what the booking is, no matter how frustrating it is to me. I digress. Split them up. Split damage control up. Split Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Shirai up. Split them up. Hill off the group. End it. And have them go their own separate ways. And at the same time, retire the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship as well. It's just not needed. Now, I'm not bothered to explain why, as you should already know. So, yeah, get rid of it. Triple H and his booking has been 50-50 with me thus far. And that's severely disappointing. Actually, you know what? 50-50 is putting it nicely, as it's probably much less than that actually thinking about it. Right, moving on. Anyway, um, next segment was... Oh, DX. (laughs) The DX segment, Jesus. This went way too long, but it was great. Alright, DX came out. Everyone and Kurt Angle came out because obviously Billy Gunn is in another company. Um, so, Kurt Angle, who looks so out of place, <laughs> he was in DX. <laughs> oh my god. This was the best segment. This was the second best segment on the show. Um, DX did their typical stuff. Uh, Kurt Angle had a couple of comedy here and there. Triple H says, Are you ready? You know, typical stuff. Anyway, uh, Kurt Angle (laughs) did the cross jobs, which was uh, not very good looking. (laughs) I'm sorry. Kurt Angle, I don't don't know what... what, Kurt Angle was so out of place in this segment, but he fit right in. So, um... Imperium comes out. Walter, well, I refuse to call him Gunther. Walter, Ludwig Kaiser, 
and Giovanni Vinci. They all come out. And this is the typical WWE formula. And um, here's how they did it. So Imperium just insulted DX and uh, Triple H was going to fight Walter. Instead, yes, I know, his name is Gunther, I know. I'm not used to Gunther, I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, Seth Rollins comes out for no reason. Seth Rollins came out unwarranted, unnecessary. He came out for no reason. DX says, oh, I wonder if somebody's going to team up with DX. Why do we need a damn tag team match? Why do we need a tag team match? We did not need a tag team match between Imperium and between Imperium versus Street Profits and Seth Rollins. You're acting like we can't just have the Street Profits versus Imperium. I, I don't understand. I don't understand this. Anyway, Street Profits came out. Teddy Long came out for no reason. Oh yes, I got to do the Teddy Long voice. <clears throat> I got to do it. I have an idea, player. Tonight, you six guys, there should be a three-on-three. Three. There should be a six-man tag team match, player. Holla. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I made fun of I made fun of Teddy Long last week. And, you know, I, I, I got to do it. I got to do it. So anyway, we had a six-man tag. Seth Rollins and the Street Profits versus Imperium. All you need to know is that the Street Profits uh, won over Imperium, and Imperium lost clean. On live TV, uh, I gave the match a six and Logic, and Logic a five. And that was that. What do you think, Josh? This was a terrible segment, Ben. You may have enjoyed it, but I should. You may have enjoyed it, but I certainly did not. I wasn't amused by this at all. Imperium are on SmackDown, I believe, and have nothing to do with Raw or its 30 year history. So why do they appear here? Volta, who is the Intercontinental Champion, had a stare down with Triple H. For which to me is completely pointless to do as it's never going to lead to a match between them. So what's the point of doing it? Triple H and the rest of the Generation X. They say they can't fight. They can't wrestle. As they aren't able to for each individual reason. And we all know what they are. Seth Rollins and the Street Profits now come down into the ring and represent DX in a six-man tank team match, even though they aren't even a part of DX. But I digress. Before the match happens, Eddie Long 
who is mainly known for being the SmackDown general manager, appears on the stage and announces officially announces according to Triple H that this is that this is now a six-man tag team match even though Teddy Long he has zero authority to book the match but I digress Kurt Angle was declared the special guest referee who apparently is now a new member of DX. This is so stupid! Triple H even made a breaking the fourth wall joke about how difficult it is to book the program. Imperium, who came down as a menacing unit, ended up losing to a trio who isn't even a proper trio. They just got paired together for this one match. Volta, who is the Intercontinental Champion, lost this match. Now, I'm aware he did not get pinned or submitted himself, but he lost by being on the losing team. So, yet again, here's another example of champions losing non-title matches when they shouldn't be. Triple H cares about wrestling though, right? Zero out of ten. This was a waste of a segment and a waste of a match. Why was Imperium even here? Seth Rollins, all of a sudden, is he now going to start a feud against Volta for the Intercontinental Championship based on the result of this match? Was this booked to start up a feud out of thin air just for the sake of it? I absolutely hope not. What else happened on Raw is XXX then? <laughs> uh, this is a segment I actually enjoy, considering, you know, everything in their in WWE history, all right? Baron Corbin loses to the Million Dollar Man and Erwin R. Scheister in... <laughs> This was the best. This was, I, I laughed so hard at this because, first of all, this is Money Incorporated we're talking here. DiBiase and IRS <laughs> winning in poker. And Baron Corbin did not pay his taxes. So IRS takes Baron Corbin's money and he gives him a $100 bill. <laughs> Fucking gold. Jesus. IRS. You get a salute, sir. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a great seg what a great segment that was, actually. That was a really good segment. Um <laughs> Oh man. Anyway, um that was that segment. IRS, thank you for coming. 
Bobby Lashley cut a backstage promo with Kathy Kelly. He says he's going to beat up Austin Theory and win the U.S. title in the main event tonight. And that's all you need to know. Um, next segment was... Oh, by the way, Ron Simmons also said, damn. That's all. Um, MVP says he knows Lashley will stay true to his word. MVP wants to celebrate after he wins, and Lashley will handle his business uh, without MVP. So they are also continuing continue, continue to tease the Hurt business. There you go. Ric Flair came out in a yellow and black suit. He looked... his. his I don't know what the hell this was. Ric Flair came out in a yellow and black suit. Ric Flair looked ugly as fuck in this segment. I normally don't criticize suit games, but Jesus Christ, Ric Flair. What the hell kind of suit will you wear? That was horrible. Jesus Christ. Anyway, he introduces Charlotte Flair. Uh, Charlotte Flair cuts a promo. She has fought everybody. Bianca Belair makes her way down for no reason. <laughs> well, anyway, um, after that segment, Alexa Bliss uh, cut a promo. Uh, it was short and sweet and to the point. She says she'll beat Bianca at the Rumble. There you go. Cody Rhodes, another recap of Cody Rhodes' video. And guess what the song was playing in the background? I played this song on the recent Certified Bangers. It was born for this by the score um, from 2019. I... Rem- I played this song on Certified Bangers, and all of a sudden, uh, by coincidence, it happened to be on Monday Night Raw. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) I'm like, this is cool. I mean, maybe somebody's listening to Certified Bangers out there. I don't know. (laughs) The the, The fact that Born For This was played on Certified Bangers, which came out this past Sunday, and now it's on this show. What a coincidence, and what a great moment that was. That was really cool. Anyway, Cody Rhodes is back. John Cena is on the cover for 2K23, which probably I may not buy, because number one, um, there's just some... I haven't even seen the gameplay for the goddamn game, so I may not buy this at all. This may be, this may be the same thing from last year, so I may not buy WWE 2K23. I'm sorry. Anyway, a random ass Miz segment for no reason. Miz says, Where's my Raw moment? Where's my sunshine? Where's my match for Monday Night Raw? Kevin Owens stuns the shit out of him twice. No one cared. I did not care. Miz, get off my fucking television. There you go. That's the end of the segment. What do you think, Josh? Anyway, time for the main event. Bobby Lashley versus... Austin Theory for the United States Championship in a no-DQ match. This match was fine, except the match was always in picture-in-picture, picture, so no one really got invested in this match. All you need to know is that Brock Lesnar showed up again. I know, Brock Lesnar's back, everybody. I know, I know, I know, I know. Brock Lesnar shows up, F5s both men, and the F5s Theory onto Lashley. One, two, three. Austin Theory, with the help of Brock Lesnar, beats Bobby Lashley again. I gave this match a 5, wrestling 5, and logic, none. Zero, zero logic for this match. What was the whole point of this match? If Bobby Lashley was not winning this match, what was the whole fucking point of this match? No one cared. I did not care. And that will wrap up. Raw is 30, pretty much. Uh, Josh, what do you think about the main event? 
I noticed you skipped over the Charlotte Flair segment and the pointless Bianca Belair versus Sonia Deville match. So, yeah, fair enough. What a waste of time, anyway. Oh, and, um... Fuck! The WWE video games. They're all the fucking same every single time. The same fucking gameplay as always. Even though I'll probably buy WWE 2K23 in March or April, though, as I'm a fucking idiot. But will I enjoy it? Most likely, I won't. And we all know Kevin Owens is challenging Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble for whatever his championship is now called. So instead of pointlessly stunning Miz and yelling he's going to win at the Rumble pay-per-view, why not just have him interrupt the trial of Sami Zayn and as Roman is leaving the ring, have Kevin appear and stun Roman on the ramp just before the rest of the bloodline leave the ring to uh, prevent Kevin from attacking Roman. Roman then can run off through the crowd and that would have been better than uh, stunning the Miz twice just for the sake of it. I did not even know Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley was even happening with all the fucking commercials happening throughout it. Now I don't give a damn about the match. Remember when Theory cashed in his money in the bank briefcase on the United States Championship? Yeah, so Brock Lesnar has returned and is yet again targeting Bobby Lashley for when he doesn't really have a reason to do so. The build-up to Crown Jewel last year did not make any sense either as it was Bobby who lost his WWE Championship at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view a few months earlier, mainly due to injury that Brock Lesnar ended up winning the WWE Championship in the Elimination Chamber because of that, but I think he would have won it regardless for if Bobby was injured or not. And I don't recall Bobby ever getting a WWE Championship match since then. So why is it Brock who's attacking Bobby? Bobby should want his revenge on Brock, not the other way around. Even though there's no revenge needed, as all Bobby had to do was challenge Roman to get his shot at becoming the champion again and there we go but alas that just wasn't to be. 
even though Brock Lesnar got another shot. But, uh, yeah, it just wasn't to be. Anyway, Brock came back, I suppose, because he wanted to prove he could beat Bobby on his own without anyone else interfering this time. I don't know, but I do know Brock got dominated in the match at Crown Jewel and had to use a roll-up to escape with the win. Now, Brock then returned two months later to yet again attack Bobby and make him lose his chance to win the United States Championship on the Raw is XXX which by the way uh, Bobby lost the United States Championship uh, to begin with last uh, October because of what happened when Brock made his return before Crown Jewel yes so has Brock returned this time to prove he can beat Bobby fairly without the need of a roll-up. Again, shouldn't it be Bobby attacking Brock? <laughs> Why is it Brock attacking Bobby? Wouldn't Bobby want revenge for the way he lost to Brock at Crown Jewel? So, I mean, why is it Brock who continues to attack Bobby every time when he makes his return? What? Anyway, I assume Bobby will eliminate Brock from the Royal Rumble on the weekend and... Uh, build up to another match between them, probably at WrestleMania 39, to once and for all end their rivalry. A rivalry that keeps continuing because uh, Brock, for whatever reason, keeps attacking Bobby every time he makes his flipping return. I guess we'll find out soon what happens next between them. Now, I've been... Joshua James Jenkins and this was a very very disappointing episode of Raw that did not even feel like it was celebrating its 30th anniversary at all. It just felt like any random weekly episode of Raw, nothing really special or stand out about it. That's honestly quite sad to think about. It truly is. <laughs> well, hey, I don't know why Brock is back. I really don't know why Brock is back. I don't even much know. All right, everybody, that's Raw's 30. Uh, a three-hour... Uh, I enjoyed Raw's 30, actually. I didn't think it was good. I didn't think it was a legendary show, but the first hour of the show is commercial-free, and it was fucking great. I can't complain. It was good. Um, but yeah, yeah, anybody, yeah, everybody, that's Raw's 30. Um, I'd like to thank Josh for being a part of this show and uh, joining me for Raw's 30. And um, I'm going to review Dynamite separate. Uh, no roundup this week at all. So just strictly AEW Dynamite review. And I'm going to talk about Dynamite, what happened on that. 
and all that and so much more. I'd like to thank Josh for being on this show on this extra edition of Rope Break. And um, I'll see you all on the Dynamite Review. And also, I will see you all next week because, you know, there's going to be a big time roundup for next week. And the Royal Rumble Review is going to be coming very soon. It's going to be next week, so look out for that. Don't want to miss that, guys. So anyway, for Josh Jenkins, I'm Ben Charles. So long, everybody.